Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see y'all, and we're thankful to have you here with all of us. We want to welcome you, and as Steve already mentioned, um, we want all of you to feel welcome to come to luncheon today. Sometimes you might feel pressure well, wait, I didn't bring anything, and, and no, it's our treat, and we'd love to, to have you over there. Our series we've been going through is on Deuteronomy, and just to kind of remind us what exactly is going on in the story, the, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses and the people of Israel standing at the brink of going into the promised land. They're about to head into the promised land, and Moses is trying to implore them before this next generation goes into the land God promised them to remember to follow the covenant that God gave them. To say, please, I want you to obey and be faithful to this covenant with God. And if you do, you will prosper. You will flourish. Things will go well. And on the other side of that, if you don't, things are going to be tough. Um, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a struggle. But there's a little bit of a problem if you're like me when you're reading this or when you're hearing me say this. This is what you're thinking. You're going, you know, Drew, have you read any of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers? Because it seems like every time somebody says, come on, y'all, let's really do this. Let's live in obedience. What seems to be the very next thing? Something of not doing that. Some kind of not living up to that. And, and if, I don't know if I'll probably be, I'll share more later, but I go through this too. I can't tell you how many times I have looked in the mirror and said, here we go. All right, I'm going to do this better. And it doesn't take long before I'm not. And so today we're going to have a conversation with this text about that question of what does it look like to say, okay, God, let's do it. And then when we fail to do that and what it looks like to try and recover from whenever we fail to do that. So if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And if you don't want to follow in your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be, we're going to read some verses from Deuteronomy 9, and then we're going to read some from Deuteronomy chapter 10. So Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land. Not a lot of words of affirmation there from, uh, from Moses. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Um, as best I understand, that is just a, a way of saying an idiom for saying, y'all are just stubborn. Every time I try and lead you and get you to go in a certain direction, you just won't do it. You are obstinate. You are hard to lead. Now let's keep reading. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7, and then we're going to read 11 through 12. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Every day since we left Egypt, you have not been listening at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, when they were at the mountain of Sinai, the Lord gave me two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, that's a great, this is one of those classic, whenever Marshall does something wrong, and I'll say, Catherine, your son is acting up. This is what, 
You know, this is what he just did here. He said, he said, Moses, go down from here once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, even though we know it's God's people who God brought out, but he's, you know, hey, your, your dog did it again. Shoot up another shoot, even though our dog's incredible, but still. Any relationship down at the foot of the hill. Okay? And so God says, you are going into this promised land, but don't think it's because you've earned this. Remember the golden calf story? Remember all of those days between Egypt and here? So there are two sides of this passage that we need to examine. One, we often fail at our side of this relationship. And number two, when we arrive at something like a promised land, like the people of Israel are about to, we often think we deserve it when we get there. So let's address the first. We often fail at our end of the relationship. So this is where I'll kind of be more perfect. I am doing at being a husband and a father. So let's think about with, with being a husband. Very rarely, there's a phrase that people will say out there is that you should date your spouse. You know, you should date your boyfriend or girlfriend, but then after you get married, don't stop dating. Keep pursuing them, or they'll say date your mate. They'll say that. I am terrible at that. There are so many times where I will just reflect on the calendar. This was even worse when I was a youth minister, but when I was a youth minister, part of this is sadly still true all across the world, but you're not a good youth minister if your calendar doesn't look packed. Like, let me see the youth calendar. Oh, this guy's great. Look at this. There's no blank spots. Like, oh man, there's tons of blank spots. This person, let's fire this person. They must be terrible. Ignore any of the other stuff about you know spiritual growth and any of those things. But when I was a youth minister and felt that pressure, I can't tell you how many times I'd come home and say, hey, Catherine, here's the youth calendar for the fall. And then she'd be like, well, don't you remember my nephew's birthday? Don't you remember this? Or, hey, didn't you think maybe we should talk about how we might want to go on a date on Thursday night, but you picked every Thursday night's going to be basketball night? Didn't you ever consider that? Those are the types of moments where, yeah, sure, I didn't, I didn't mess up. But what I sure am not doing is the thing that I vowed to do, which is to stand and to say, I'm going to make you one of the top priorities in my life. And yet often... I end up making all these other things a priority. Or let's think about me as a parent. As soon as I come home most days, the first thing that's happening is relaxation mode. You know, I'm gonna take off the shoes, I'm gonna relax, and I'm going to start, yeah, I've had a long day, I'm gonna start doing all the stuff I wanna do. Or the opposite is true, is I know all the stuff that needs to get done, and I come home and I immediately stop working, start working on it. But have I ever thought that there's gonna come a time where my children are not in my house? And they're going to be off, and I'm going to go, man, I really wish I had a chance to, like, hold my kid. Or I really wish I had a chance to interact with my child. But no, as soon as I get home, the first thing I'm thinking is, what am I grabbing from the fridge? How am I relaxing? Now, when does that game start tonight? And that's where my mind goes. Instead of the fact that I have children in my home that I am not interacting with. That I'm not, like, what if my day, I came home, and as soon as I came home, my first thought was, I'm... I don't know what all is going on, but the rest of this night, I'm playing board games with my kids. The rest of this night, I'm going to be very present with my children. I often feel like I, I never thought I was an angry person until I had children. Um, you, know, you know, if you had asked me, like, Drew, are you kind of angry? I'd be like, no, not really. Boom. Kids. Man, I have a temper. You know? So, so anyway, whenever the last one I have is, like, Catherine works night shifts, if y'all didn't know, but... She used to work more, now she works one day a week. But one day a week, that means I have the kids 
from 6 p.m. until they go to bed, and then I have them from 7 a.m. until she gets done sleeping, which sometimes is, sometimes she only sleeps from 8 to 11, so sometimes it's just a few hours. But sometimes she sleeps from 8 and then goes until like 1 p.m. I tell her, you know, just so she knows, if you told me I had to work outside in this heat from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m., I would be less tired than I am after being with our children. But I'm, I'm completely serious, okay? Now, so I go through these seasons of telling myself that I'm going to figure it out. I go through these seasons of getting really down on myself for that and going, you know what, Drew? Step it up. And I get out the calendar and I put in, all right, we're going to have a date this night. And I, get, I do better. I recommit to the relationship. I recommit to it. And then, of course, it doesn't take long before I'm right back to going, man, I said I was going to make that a priority. And this, as you can imagine, is even more true about my walk with God. For every three-month span that I have of being incredibly diligent with my morning prayers, I usually follow it up with a three-month span of practically not thinking about God at all. For every retreat or conference that I go to that makes me go, man, I'm going to get so much better at making God a priority. I'm going to take all the, the football podcasts off my phone. I'm going to only have sermon and Bible podcasts. It doesn't take long before it's like, oh, Cowboys traded for who? Oh, I got to listen to that podcast. Oh, you know, the Aggies did what? Okay, I got to listen to that podcast. And before you know it, how many of us have gone to summer camp? How many of us have had that summer camp moment? This is it. I'm, I've changed my life. I know I said this last year, but this time it's really changed. And then the first day of school starts, the routines, the busy schedules resume, and nothing has changed. So the bottom line is that part of the story of Israel, part of what Deuteronomy is talking about, is that we are incredibly hard to lead, and often we miss our side of the covenant. And Moses doesn't want the people to forget. Because as they're on the cusp of the promised land, it's going to be really easy to think we have arrived in the promised land, and we deserve this. We earned it. We got here. The Israelites, they finally make it there, and Moses does not want them to get overconfident and full of themselves that something they did is right. The verse he said in, uh, in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Understand that then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are stiff-necked people. Now, I don't want you, because I don't think this would help, I do not want you to be someone who wallows in your unworthiness. To perpetually dwell on how we are not good enough. That is why God gave us mother-in-laws. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. But I practiced that one. Okay, so that is not what I think would help. All right? I think the appropriate response to both of these things, the appropriate response for us to consider is let's first talk about how are we supposed to act when we find ourselves arrogant on our own self-righteousness. So the Israelites, yeah, okay, let's stay here. The Israelites and Christians, both of us, we are not supposed to be self-loathing, but we are supposed to emphasize our confidence in God's grace and his power. So let me reiterate this. How do we not get overconfident and overimportant in ourselves? It's not self-loathing, but it is constantly reflecting on it is God's character and God's action that is the reason why we're able to be here. There once was this little boy who he kept trying to shoot the basketball into a basketball net, and every time he shot it, it barely got there. And so the dad, the father was watching, so what he did is he went out and he got a little smaller basketball, and he gave it to the son. 
And the son shot that, and it got a little closer, but he still didn't make it. So then the dad kind of went, and he, you know, without the son noticing, he went and lowered the goal down lower. And the, it was so close, but he, he still couldn't make it. And finally, finally, the dad went out there, picked up his son, held him up, and his son tossed the basketball into the hoop. And when he set it down, the son said, I did it! All by myself! Okay, you get the illustration? We do this a lot with our faith. We do this a lot with walking with God, where we don't, I don't want that son, I don't want that father to go, now listen, you're not all that good at this, don't forget. No. The son just wants the father to go, now remember, I'm the one that picked you up. I'm the one that gave you the ball. I'm the one that lowered the goal. Not to think, as C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And I'll add to C.S. Lewis, think more about God. So, when you are overconfident in your self-righteousness, you can start to believe that your failures are somehow less disappointing than other people's failures. This is another very important thing. If you are someone who is very confident, I made it to the promised land, I earned it, and you've forgotten about the golden calf, it's easy for you to start to see other people failing and going, why can't they figure this out? I got to the promised land. Does that make sense? This is the other side to this arrogance thing. But when you remember that it's God's faithfulness that got you here, then you start to see the other people and you're like, well, you're not too far. God got me here. God picked me up and helped me throw the basketball in the hoop. He can help you too. This illustration, I tried to think of one. This is the best I could do. I hope it works. But I'm guessing almost all of you are familiar with the movie Hoosiers. Okay. That had to have been a famous enough, old enough movie to get enough people in here to say that they watched it. But there's this important part where the head coach, Coach Dale, he recruits who to be his assistant basketball coach. He recruits the town drunk, who everyone calls Shooter. And you can tell already the town's not a big fan of the coach to begin with, and now you recruited who to be your assistant coach? You know, he fired the popular guy in town and hired the least popular guy in town. And everyone is confused, everyone doesn't see it and doesn't get it. But I believe that part of what we have to understand is Coach Dale, which you see throughout the movie, he is only at his job because he got a second chance. Do y'all remember that in the story? He had had an accident at his last job. He had made some bad choices that led to him getting fired from his last job. And so if he got this new job and thought, well, I made it, I'm here because I earned this, I deserve it, I crushed it, then of course he's not gonna see this other person as someone worthy of the job. But if he thinks, you know what? I am only here because I got a second chance. I am only here because someone decided to forgive me and let me have this opportunity. Then there is not someone else that he's gonna go, well, you can't be my assistant. He's gonna go, you know what? This person might get a second chance. And to go with the analogy of this whole sermon, it's a little unrelated to this point, but does the assistant coach have a relapse? Does he? In the story, he does. That forgiveness didn't all of a sudden go, sweet, he's perfect now. He's never going to mess up again. But he still relapsed. But guess what? He's, there's another second chance. There's his son coming into the hospital to come and say, hey, I'm proud of you, Dad. Those are examples of this pattern of the Israelites. Constantly getting another chance to recommit. Doing better. Constantly failing. And so this is my next really important question is, how do we recover when we fail? How is it that, and I, when I go through this cycle over and over of, 
I feel like I'm, I need to recommit God and then I'm failing again. How do I recover? And so we're going to use Deuteronomy to hopefully help us find an answer to this. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord our your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants above all the nations. As it is today, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, the, the three that always come up a lot, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. Going back to last week's sermon, why do we do what we do? Because of who the character of our God is. God loves them, therefore we love them, because that's who God is. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Okay, so I wish I, wish I had an answer that felt... Um, I wish I had an answer that felt maybe... Uh, more complex or more creative like you would like oh man wow cool I didn't know that Hebrew word meant that which means this and I, I really don't have anything like that nothing I'm going to say right now is going to feel novel it's not complex but it's also not simple I don't want to offend any of you like I might feel annoyed by offering a solution that might feel very unhelpful to something that has we've all struggled with Drew I've been there when I went to summer camp and when I came back and said, this is the time it's going to change, and then it didn't, I'd really like you to actually give me a solution to that. And, and sadly, I don't know if I'm going to be able to help much, but I am going to tell you what I think Moses told the people of Israel. If this chapter, if it teaches us anything, it is that our arrogance and our idolatry, the golden calf, that is, and, and by the way, when I say idolatry, try to remember, this is taking anything and placing it in a position that it was never meant to be, above God, Okay. Try to disassociate. Yes, back then, we're talking about looking at an actual idol and worshiping it. But for us, we don't do that. We just take things that were never meant to be in that position and we place them there. So if the source of this failure is about their arrogance, it's about them being stubborn and stiff-necked, knowing this is the way we should go, this is why the, what the best path is, their idolatry, placing things above God, if that's the source of our failure in our relationship with God, then our path to recovery is the opposite. It is to be humble. It is to allow God to say, God, I'm going to follow you and obey you. And it is to value God as God. When we see this line, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, even Paul in Romans is going to come back to this and say, the identity marker, you think the identity marker of whether you are part of the people of God is whether you're circumcised. Well, I'm telling you, you're almost right. The true identity marker is whether your heart's have been circumcised, whether your hearts have been marked as I am someone who praises God. 
In the passage, we saw fear the Lord your God and serve him. He is the one you praise. So maybe let me go back real quick to the illustration of with my children and my kids, or my wife and my kids. Um, during COVID, a lot of people, during COVID, a lot of people who used to drive into work every day were not driving into work. And a lot of people said, man, I had no idea how much time I didn't spend with my family, right? You with me? A lot of people realized that. And a lot of people had a little bit of a reality check. And I think the same thing is true when we talk about our relationship with God. Maybe every once in a while, part of the process that God is doing is there's this constant cycle. But hopefully every time you get to this place of, man, I really am not making God a priority and making other things idols. I'm really being arrogant, thinking I'm the one that got myself here. And then you finally look around and go, man, I I don't deserve this. Maybe the, the hope is, is that every time you get to that spot, you're able to do what Moses wants them to do, where he says, listen, our God is the one you should be praising. Our God is the one you should be following his lead. Our God is the one, he is the one who is not just in the heavens, he's in the highest heavens. Like this is who our God is. And so you need to make him that priority. I'm going to use Paul from Ephesians 2 to hopefully bring this home and maybe hopefully us to use Paul's language as another opportunity for us to think about how do we make our relationship with God, how do we keep coming back to it, keep recovering from our failure whenever we go through our golden calf moments. So in in Ephesians 2, it says this, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2. I might skip some, skip around some. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we, you know, you know, that's what Moses is saying. He's like, don't think this is because you earned this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not for yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why is it that God sticks with us whenever we keep on failing and we keep on trying to recover and then we keep on failing? Why is that? Maybe what Paul is showing me here is that He's constantly trying to show us that it is about his grace so that we may know the incomparable riches of his grace and because he has something he needs us to be doing. Why did he keep on letting the Israelites recover? Why did he keep on wanting them to come back and fear the Lord? Because he had work for them to do, to be blessing the world. He says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Why does he keep on doing this for us? Because of his great love for us, because of this grace he's given us. Why? Because he made us, he created us to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us so that, as the ESV says, so that we would walk in them. So I want to encourage you as you think about this, that part of why we continually fail is because that's we, we, until the new heavens and the new earth come, until the Holy Spirit is fully able to finish its work in us, we are never going to get this exactly right. But we have a Savior, Jesus, who is faithful to the test that we don't pass. 
the whole canon of scripture is about people God has said, I'm going to use you, and they have their highs and they have their failures until the man Jesus of Nazareth came along who passed the test in the wilderness that the Israelites failed, who passed the test in the garden that Adam and Eve failed. And because he was faithful, we get to have his righteousness. And we continually get chances with God again to keep recovering because God has stuff for us to do. He has good work that he's prepared for us. So I pray and hope that all of us continually get better at failing less and at recovering faster because I believe hopefully in that walk and journey with God, this long obedience, we slowly but surely get better and better at that. But when you find yourself failing, come back to this. Come back to reminding yourself not to think less of yourself, but to think more about God's faithfulness and to remember the reason that I'm here is because God has work for me to do. If any of you would like to uh, pray with anyone, if you need any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this final song.